some of the wisest men have, in consequence of this, called anger a short madness, for it is equally devoid of self-control, regardless of decorum, forgetful of kinship, obstinately engrossed in whatever it begins to do, deaf to reason and advice, excited by trifling causes, awkward at perceiving what is true and just, and very like a falling rock, which breaks itself to pieces upon the very thing which it causes to embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 223 of Embrace the Void, where we're not mad, we're just disappointed. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we are discussing stoic activism. Before we do, I want to remind folks again, I'm running a three Saturdays in a row virtual workshop on the persistence of immoral atheist stereotypes and how it harms non-believers. That's going to be three Saturdays in January, starting, I believe, on the 8th. Um, if that's something that would interest you, there will be links in the show notes. All right. With that sorted, let's get calmer than you are. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My guest this week is Kai Whiting, a researcher on sustainability and stoicism at UC Louvain and the author of Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living in. Kai, would you like to say hi to the void? Yeah, like maybe I should scream into the void. No, I, I, that's why I had to say that. It was just so, I was <laughs> like, my, my British humor was like, I have to do something silly at the beginning. If you can't be silly, you don't deserve to be called a philosopher. <laughs> I understand. G generally, better not to scream on podcasts. That we can certainly edit down the volume if you really feel compelled to do so. So, no, I think we have a, I think we have a nice chat. So I had to say, yeah, no, totally. I absolutely understand. We are here for the irreverent comedy uh, style stoicism. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I, we had interacted some on Twitter around issues, I think, of stoicism and like social justice and activism and things more broadly. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I love having chats about um, these sort of intersections of these ethical theories and their applications. So um, I, I looked into your work some and I was hoping we could have this chat. And so why don't we start a little bit by giving folks some background on sort of how you come to the issue of sustainable stoicism. So, yeah, a lot of people, when they think about stoic, they think about the one that has a little s, a non-capitalized s. So they think mm -hmm. stoic means that I don't care, right? I don't care mm -hmm. about anybody else. I just care about myself. I'm not emotional about it. I get on with my day-to-day -day life. I, you know, embrace the suck, right? <laughs> and that makes me 
stoic. That really mm-hmm. couldn't be further from stoicism, capital, philosophy, right? And mm-hmm. why, why would I say that? Because stoics, stoics the ancient stoics recognized that we were part of a community, a worldwide community. They wouldn't see the world in the same way, the cosmopolitan. So in a sense, yes, one does, of course one focuses on the self because that's the one person you control. But the idea is to to have to act stoically so that you have headspace to be able mm-hmm. to contribute to cosmopolis. Like in Stoics, your body is not merely yours. It is for mm-hmm. it is to be aligned with the you know with reason, with the good being virtue. So I find it really strange that Stoicism was like self-help, right? Mm-hmm. And the irony about this is that when you have a self-help book. It's basically like, if you do exactly what I tell you, you'll get these exact results, which is the opposite of self-help. Like the irony there is like, how is that helping yourself? What you're doing is I'm dependent on somebody else. And as you know yourself, the Stoics come from the Socratic background. So the only way to help oneself in terms of methodology is to ask yourself the questions that require, you know, good, reasonable thinking so that you can progress. And the Stoics would say you would like to progress to a life of flourishing. So I just felt that the self-help wasn't very helpful. The sustainability bit comes in from my environmental engineering background. Because as an environmental engineer, we ask the question, what do we need to do to improve the situation? There's no self in that. No engineer is going to tell you, you know what, you need to sit there and build the bridge by yourself. Well, that's a very sort of weird way of looking at the world. In the same way that no, mm-hmm. no sports person is going to say, I rely solely on myself. So mm-hmm. when I wrote Being Better, Stoicism for a World Wealth Living In, it was like, okay, of course you help yourself. Of, of course, by, by being you, that happens. But what do you do it for? From the action strike perspective, it's to make the world better, to, mm-hmm. to improve it, to contribute, and not just be this resilient, tough guy who doesn't care. So I correct, just give you one example. I corrected a tweet the other day because somebody said that Stoics shouldn't give up about anything they're not in their control. And that's part of recognizing, you know, how to flourish. I'm like, okay, but your parents aren't in your control. Your kids are not in your control. Do you not give up about them? It's not about not care. It's not about not caring. It's about recognizing, like, I accept that a person is different to me, that they may not do what I would like them to do, and that's okay. That's not going to make me waver. That's not going to make me suffer. It's only going to make me suffer if my my sense of self and sense of contentment is dependent on my kid doing what, or my dog doing whatever I want them to. The moment I can let that go and go, I may want my dog to walk at my heel. If that doesn't happen, that's fine. That doesn't mm-hmm. affect my character. The only thing that matters. It's not that you suddenly don't care about the dog that you feed and look after. Right. So that was kind of how mm-hmm. we set about doing being better. And the sustainability part was like, well, by its very nature, you have to do something that's beyond the self. Okay, great. So there's definitely a lot, I think, to unpack there and some that I agree with and some where like I, I feel like there's not like a, like a conscious Mott and Bailey happening, but like a kind of it seems to me there are two versions of stoicism going on and sort of a jumping back and forth between them um, sometimes that I want to get into. But I'm curious to hear a little bit more before we dive into the philosophy side. So you were saying you come from a engineering background. Yeah. What you know, how do you get into stoicism and what like attracts you to it and sort of what is your do you feel like you've been on a journey with stoicism where like you know i know you've written some about 
what what you call things like broics, right? Guys who are sort of into stoicism in a kind of broy sort of way. And I like wonder, like, do you feel like that you came to it from things like those kinds of spaces initially, or how how did that how is that process for you? So academically, engineers are really good at the the what and the how. Like, what mm-hmm. do you want me to do? Aaron, what on earth do you want me to do right now? I want you to build a bridge. Okay, how long does that bridge have to be? And what is its purpose? And how would you like me to do it? Would you like it in wood? Would you like it in rock? Would you like it? But mm-hmm. engineers don't do why. So when I teach in the, you know, I teach critical thinking for engineers, I ask them, what is the most sustainable bridge you can build? And they give me all sorts of answers. And the answer for me is the following. The one that, to not build anything. The most sustainable bridge you can build is one that you don't need to build, right? Because there's no waste there. So I'm like, before you decide, oh, well, let's make it eco, right? On some, let's let's use eco concrete for the sake of argument. So like, well, what happens if you didn't need to build it in the first place? Wouldn't that be even more sustainable? But that question isn't typically asked. So from an academic perspective, I was like, engineer is going to give me the the how and the what, which philosophers don't always answer, particularly the how, but doesn't give me the why. Why do something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Facts and a value. Right, David Hume distinction. So that was the academic sense. In the personal sense, what happened was uh, my uh, grandmother died and I had a stoic influence book on my lap. And it talked about the difference between observation and perception. Mm-hmm. And instead of asking myself at the time, you know, why did she die? Why did she die? The answer is simple. She died because she was ill. That's why mm-hmm. she died. There was not necessarily a more existential meaning to that. And it was like, that's not a really helpful question. Why did she die? Or why did she die on me? As if like she died because, you know, or me personally, that's something about me. It's talking again about me rather than her. It was like, what do I want to do about it, Aaron? What does this mm-hmm. mean to me from the perspective of what am I, what's my next step going to be? And for me, stoicism gave me the tools to, to conquer death in the sense that to understand what death is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. And so the Stoics again would say, you're in control of your attitude, your actions, and your thoughts, nothing else. So I'm not in control of somebody dying. If I'm a doctor, I have some aspects of control, right? My actions corresponding to their death or their ability to continue living. In my case, mm-hmm. I wasn't the doctor. So there was literally nothing I could do, right? So I, I was sat with that decision and I thought, well, what is, what is, this, what is her life going to mean? What is her death going to mean? And why is that significant? And what does that say about, what does my attitude say about my character? And I thought Stoism to crystallize that really well. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something, it's interesting because I think there is a form of commodified Stoicism that I think you have also sort of highlighted as being um, not ideal, but there is a sense in which as a wisdom tradition, there, there is value in stoicism and people find value in it. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's important rather than to say what is stoicism, I, you know, I'm curious, like what sort of are the, are the key tools for you that make stoicism sort of a meaningful and valuable language for dealing with these kind of issues, right? So you've talked about things like the cosmopolitan aspect, right? Um, and there's this dichotomy of control that that is... I think where I have a point of sort of conflict with the Stoics, but before we get to that, I'm curious, are there any other like key insights in 
the stoic model that you think you know go into your toolkit that you find particularly valuable that we should like get on the table here at the beginning well there's two um first one is your role what is your role right now okay so we occupy many roles like you have a role that i know about which is a podcaster you also mm-hmm. have a role as a dog owner right and that's right as long as they and they, they, they if a story not they should never contradict so in the, right they should right. never contradict right so as you know it was a moment when you're walking your dog you shouldn't probably be thinking about your, your podcast that's not particularly helpful so people say well how does stories help you identify you know what you should do if you've got multiple roles well what are you doing right now and this comes on to the second point epistemologically speaking there is no past and there is no future for stories it's just the present so it's a very present mm-hmm. moment thing. That's why they're not consequentialists, because a lot of people say, because that was the consequence, that makes your decision bad. But the is like, the only thing that's in your control is your actions, attitudes, and thoughts. Where are your consequences in those three things? But it doesn't mean you shouldn't bear in mind some things, right? I mean, that's just sensible. Okay, mm. I think that my, my actions could lead to that. Then that's about how you think about what your actions are going to be, right? But right. just because something bad happens or something good happens doesn't mean that my decision at the time was good or bad or in the moral sense. So that's okay. really fundamental because a lot of people think, okay, I should do this because this will make me this and this will happen. I go, well, it might, but you know, something good could happen because your mum covered your bum. Like you didn't have to, you were like, oh, this happened. And your mum's like, yeah, I knew that would happen. So I, you know, swept around and tidied it up for you. And actually serendipitously, this happened. That had nothing to do with my decision. It had more to do with, say, my mum's decision or my husband mm-hmm. or wife's decision or my, my even my dog's decision not to, you know, jump into the river because I'd thrown a stick there, right? <laughs> so, like, this kind of thing. And I think that's really fundamental and that is lost in the self-help stoic-y space because they they tend to be like, this is guy's great strength because he happened to be a government leader, he happened to be, mm-hmm. like, the president of the United States, we happened to be a great sports person. And I had this tweet that I talked to with someone about. They said, it must be easier to be a stoic if you're a Roman emperor. We're talking about Marcus Brooks. Actually, no, because stoicism about the virtue is internal. It's Yes, you can point at a person's character. That looks like courage. But it's not something external. Was Marcus Aurelius' life, life nicer? Yes. Yes, it was. Does that make it easier to be a stoic? I know Seneca messed up quite a lot, right? So it doesn't make wealth doesn't make your life easier as a story. It makes your life nicer or pleasurable, more pleasurable than say if you're Epictetus if you were an ex-slave, right? And that's the, also the distinction that people forget about on on both sides. Yeah, I mean it's tricky, right? Because like obviously the the tr- the easy rejoinder there is you have Epictetus, right? This like experiencer of slavery and like horrible abuse, who's also a Stoic, right? And so like it clearly can be for people who are not in sort of these highly privileged positions. But I do also, you know, I think there is maybe something to the idea that it can be easier to espouse certain philosophies when you have certain basic needs and things met potentially um i mean so, aristotle would agree with you right so this is this is not an argument right this is why i'm an aristotelian yeah. more than the stoic right it's because like I, I like and this is where so i mean this gets into this issue of 
um, the you know, I, I do think what stoicism does for people, what, what you're sort of getting at there is it allows them to recalibrate their expectations around control and recalibrate their emphasis on like the locus of control and their focus of, of where they can sort of emphasize their focus, their energy, um, which in turn, I think, can give an experience of um having more sort of stability more more internal equanimity more sort of psychological and potentially like as a result sort of behavioral benefits as a result of that um and i, and I do want to get into that now I, I just want to clarify real quick because you said in there about sort of things being like your 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 purposes your your roles or something like that being potentially in conflict sometimes um and it seems like the stoics would have to acknowledge that they can be in conflict right in the sense that like so you know my, my dog is in the other room right now and i have to take care of him while recording with you and so i'm making sure that he has um things to keep him distracted but he won't choke on them at the same time and so it's like there is, yeah. there is this trading off of, of of roles and you can only com commit to so many roles at a given point in time it seems like right well they would say actually there's no conflict because all the things that you talk folk about you did before you jumped on the podcast you're not doing them now so right, but I could only like, do those things were... because I had like vast amounts of like privilege and various sorts of things that like enabled oh, of me course. to like, uh, right, you know, like. weren't blind to that. Like, like go, again, it was easier for you to do those things, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of it's nicer. But if being a stoic is achieving eudaimonia, then the mm -hmm. flourishing, then right. privilege, there's no, privilege doesn't make you flourish. Lack of privilege doesn't prevent you from flourishing. And that's the difference, like nicer, pleasurable, more comfortable. If that's happy, which is what the Epicureans would say, potentially, then yeah, the Stoic would say, yeah, you're right. But being a Stoic, if you're being really, you know, Stoic about it, is going, Eudaimonia is the is, is flourishing. It's to, to have a character that mm -hmm. is the round hole in the round peg that's completely aligned with divine reason like that's there's this historic versus and the other thing is that people tend to focus on the dichotomy of control and the issue is that if that's not rooted in reason and virtue because you can tell like how do you know if it's a self-help book as opposed to a stoic book how many times do you control find the word virtue if it's not there it's not stoic right so there's a lot of self-help stoic books that don't really mention the word virtue at all so again like there's nothing uh -huh. particularly stoic about having a dichotomy of control in fact that's just called it 1.1 Right. It's literally 101. Like, do you understand that? Yes. And that's in function of what matters in life, your character. Right. Virtue. So anything outside of your control, not going to help you to achieve your dominion. So that's that's the issue that, I, that I've been pushing back in within like self-help or stoic circles in general. Going, But is uh -huh. it rooted in virtue? Because if it's not, it's not really stoicism. Like comic control per se is not stoic. It's common sense. So I I mean, I think I agree with you in the sense that, like, I'm in favor of more virtue ethics talk, right? And I think it's valuable to to bring that sort of stuff in. But, like, where it seems like there is, as you mentioned, a disagreement between sort of the broad Stoic view and the broad Aristotelian view is whether or not virtue is a result of luck, right? And, like, the dichotomy of control yeah. here seems important, right? So, folks, if we're not familiar, just to reiterate, we talked about this way back when, um, but, like, the dichotomy of control, right, is where... 
you know, there is a, there are things that are under your control and things that are not under your control, right? And the prescription of stoicism is to focus your energy on the things that are under your control. And those tend to, as I understand it, please, please correct me here if I'm wrong, things that are internal to you or something like that, where internal means like emotional states, responses, reactions, there's various sort of versions of this. But is that sort of how you understand the concept generally? Uh, not entirely reactions, judgments, right? Because you can react judgments, like a okay. rah, and you're ah, right. <laughs> That's not in your control necessarily. But okay. The okay. So some people will say they they are, but some people will say they aren't. Is my understanding, right? Mm-hmm. But like, right. You're, so so some folks, right? You're you're right. Might say whether you have an angry reaction initially is not under your control, but what you do with that initial reaction is under your control, right, right? or something like that, right? Now, what seems sort of problematic here to me is that. It seems, first of all, that there really isn't a robust distinction between the external things that are under that are not under your control, like how the consequences of your action. Right. We, you know, like the Stoics are on board with consequential luck. They acknowledge that, like, despite your best efforts, something bad can happen and your things can go poorly. Right. But they seem to not be on board with constitutive luck, the stuff that goes into your character. Right. The stuff that makes it the case where who you are, your virtue, all of the features about you are also fundamentally out of your control in a pretty robust kind of way. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that kind of pushback? I have to agree with you, right? Because I can't say like this, because I'd be Aristotelian if I said part of the ability to act virtuously is dependent on being, you know, male, Athenian, wealthy, and non-manual worker, right? The, The beauty of that is that if you're if you're stoic, you you have to you say everything that is going to help me flourish, I already have. I don't need wealth. I don't even need health. Right? Epictetus walked with a limp. Right? He he didn't need health because one thing is about again people distinguish between being contented and happy feelings as opposed to are you flourishing? Are you in complete alignment with the rational universe? Right? So mm-hmm. so there is. I can't disagree with you, right? Because that that's the crux. Like whether you that's why I have said before, like people get really upset about the fact there's a stoic god. They're like, I can't prove there's a god, and I don't see why we need the god because it's not being able to prove it. But you can't prove that virtue is the only good. Right? One thing is virtue is good, the other thing is virtue is the highest good, right? The other thing mm-hmm. is virtue is the only good. You you ha- at some point you have to say, This is where I pack my tent. Right? This is it, this is my axiomatic premise. I'm going to go with that premise. And, you know, Zeno himself would have said, Aaron, you don't agree with that virtue is the only good and that virtue is something that is a character, is internal or external is going to make any difference. Okay, go and speak to Aristotle. <laughs> go and speak to his school, not him personally, obviously. Oh, but I don't but disagree like with that being... part. And I mean, I, well, I mean, I think I don't think there are other intrinsically valuable things, but I do think virtue is intrinsically valuable. I just think whether or not you have it is the result of factors beyond your control. Um, so like, for example, you know, so, so, so you're describing there this kind of sort of classic stoic reaction of like, I have to just say the things that I have are the things that I need, right? And I won't, I don't need the things that I don't have, right? So if I have, you know, this Heraclitean or this Epictetian limp, right? Like that's just, I just accept that in this kind of way. And I think like, you know, and it's not the only wisdom tradition that promotes acceptance of things that you cannot fundamentally change, right? You see that in a lot of wisdom traditions, Um, but it, 
the fact that it makes the substantial distinction where it says that there are things that you can change and they are your reactions to it in this kind of way. So the concern would be, for example, what if the thing you don't have is dignity, right? Like what if you're living in a society that systemically denies you personal human dignity? Does Stoicism say, just just accept that you don't get to have dignity in your life and flourish without that human dignity? If you're going to be Masonius Rufus about it, so I better give some context. Masonius Rufus is Epictetus' teacher. And he corrects Thrasia, who is a statesman, when he says, I would always prefer death to, ex- to exile because he's talking about the Roman ideals. And Masonius Rufus is like, but if, if the universe gives you the lesser burden of the two, then why not accept it? The alternative is what? Like they, they would say, okay, let's imagine a world where you don't have dignity. And you feel that your flourishing is dependent on you having dignity. Okay, then you're going to live a miserable life. There's no alternative to you. It doesn't mean that they don't say that it's it's easier or, or difficult. That's a different thing. They're saying you only you can control your progress towards unimilia. That's you. So if I'm like, for example, you know. I, I actually do have a limp myself. <laughs> I was born and I had a limp. I can say, okay, I have this limp. And I don't like that fact. And I, you know, because I have a limp, I can't achieve X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's true. There are certain things I can't, I, I would never be a good waiter. <laughs> does, does my ability to flourish depend on me being a good waiter? Well, that's up to me. The minute I say, yes, it does, then I'm going to live a miserable life because I'm never going to achieve being a good waiter. Right, I'm never mm-hmm. going to be the, a great. Let's say great rather than good because of the virtual word. So that it's it's not that I set. It's basically it's not one of those like okay, I'm going to just I'm just going to say okay, I get treated really terribly. I'll just accept that. Well, I have to accept that if I've made the reasonable calculation and realised that it's beyond my control to do anything else. It doesn't mean I just sit there and go right. This is the argument I think you might have seen me say. Like it's not that we see injustice and we shut our eyes to it. That's being vicious, right? If we believe that we are able to change it, if we have reason to believe, not like I believe like a religious kind of experience, but if I have reason to to believe, I have a conviction that I can change something, then to not change it speaks of my character. But if I've sat there and I've looked at all the all the possibilities, and I sound like Doctor Strange in Marvel, right? I've looked at all the possibilities and there's there's no possible there's no way out. Mm-hmm. Then I also then the the only way that I can flourish is to accept that because the alternative is it's being dependent on somebody else. So I don't know if you if you remember when he's when Doctor Strange says gives him like the gem, she's like, "What? He gave it to you?" And she's like, "Wait!" Like he's 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 mental. Wait, maybe that was the only way. So Doctor mm-hmm. Strange is very I don't know people. If, like, I think they probably do know that Marvel because you talk about X Men for example, but. If, that, if you've looked at the possibilities in front of you, and it is obviously, and we've all been in this case, it's obvious that we're not going to have a situation that we want, a, what they would call a preferred indifferent. Like you might have, you must have realized at some point you were never going to be an American football player. Right? That must have, uh-huh. at some point you must have Fairly realized. Fairly early that. on, yes. Right? So if your life, if your sense of sense of self and happiness was dependent on that, then you were going to make yourself miserable. That's all they're saying. They're not saying, if you honestly believe that you have the ability to be an American football player, right? Then do so if that's what you think is going to give your give your life a sense of you know external okay. jo- sense of joy, let's say, right? But then they yeah. would say if you need that, then you're you're actually going to disappoint yourself because you becoming an American football player isn't only dependent on you; it's dependent on whether you get picked by somebody else, right? That's what they mean by that. That doesn't mean that we should just be. And this is the issue I have with self help. 
folks that talk about stuff like, oh, you know, sometimes they say, oh, you know, just accept the things that happen to you. Yes, for example, you have the example, there's a, there's a very famous book called Obstacle is the Way. Is it? Because in stoicism, the obstacle may be the way, it might not. Reason would tell you whether it is or not. Wisdom would tell you. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the way, and sometimes it's just a, just an obstacle. So why go through it? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things in there that I have concerns about. Right. So one of them would be, I, I think it is fair to say that we're all, you know, like all of these kind of attempts to understand how to survive in the world and flourish in the world involve these questions around trying to figure out what are the things, you know, the, the old adage, like, accept the things you can't change versus change the things you can. Right. And where do we draw that line for, you know, things that are like personal desires versus things like, you know, social justice kind of issues, like, should we be more sort of forceful in demanding basic social justice? You know, like, maybe it doesn't matter very much that I'm not a football player, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all, in fact, right? But like, it matters a great deal that we live in a fundamentally unjust society. And so like, we shouldn't accept that um, at the same kind of level. So that's one kind of, you know, potential concern I have here is that like this model, because it puts so much emphasis on, look, you can change what's going on internally. And if things look real bad on the outside, just fix how you sort of accept what things, you know, how you feel about the things on the outside. And that will at least sort of improve your state of being psychologically, right? Um, And that can make for a fairly easily adaptive kind of slave mentality in a sense. Um, And then the other concern that I would have is sort of a psychological, you know, it's like, it's not always clear what change is possible, right? Like, you know, you're sort of describing here this idea where like, I can do some rational calculus and figure out like, here's the amount that I can improve my status in life and like improve it by that amount and then be content, right? But like the reality is we often don't know what's possible until we try to force it, right? And so like, what do you, you know, how do you as a stoic sort of address somebody who says, look, rather than accept the current state, I'm going to fight it tooth and nail, even if it means lots of suffering for lots of people, because I do think there's a small chance that it can bring about like a very small chance, but a non-zero chance that it can bring about change. And the alternative is continued injustice. I mean, I can do, I can accept the current state and still, and I should as a stoic still work towards justice. I mean, mm-hmm. the minute you say that as a stoic, I should accept an unjust and well, an unjust world doesn't make any sense because you're then saying I should accept that other people are, you know, well, but do you feel like, vicious, I mean, well, well, stoicism says control. you should accept things that aren't under your control, right? I mean, yeah, in the sense that, am I, do I accept, for example, do I accept that society is unjust? I think we all, I think we all do, right? I think none of us would say, you know what, society is really just. There's a lot of things I don't think just. I mean, especially because the story is black and white. Even if it's a little bit juster than it was yesterday, it's still unjust. It's literally black and white. So, well, is it under your control? Only a little bit. Well, then it's not really under your control. Then just the aspect it is. So, I encourage stories to say, okay, for example, when you ask yourself the question, is society unjust? The answer is at the moment, yes. What is your role? What can you do? Okay, I'm a father. Are you unjust to your kids? Well, yes, actually, because you're not a sage. Are you acting appropriately towards your kids as their father? Mm-hmm. Well, every, you know, this is what I do. And you might talk to me about it. And if I use a Socratic di- dialectic, I don't tell you what to do, but I ask you questions. Well, why do you think that you are 
acting appropriately and where do you think you dropped the ball, right? It's not for me to tell you what to do, but it is for me to, you know, if you would like me to, to engage with you. So people, you know, it's not like hands up, society's unjust, I should just shrug my shoulders and be happy. No, I should accept that society's unjust, yeah, and that, but within that, within my role, there are aspects of that that I can change. Mm-hmm. Like I said, for example, uh, that society's unjust, if I, for example, the US may be very unjust. As a British person, can I vote in the US? No. Right? So no, I accept no, that. No, but fact, you can right? certainly use, use money to influence our politics, apparently. Yes. Right? That, that's, that's, there's and that, there's that's a way true. where you could pretty effectively vote in our elections, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, right? But if, I but, were, like, but if I were an American citizen, one thing that I, I ought to do if I value democracy right, mm-hmm. is to vote. But as a British person, even if I do happen to value democracy, I cannot vote. So why would I get annoyed right. about the fact that... I can't that even fix your own democracy. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be too worried about our situation. <laughs> For example, yeah. But, like, do you at least worry... And this is not just a stoicism problem, right? This is a, like, um, partners in crime, all of the wisdom traditions kind of problem of, like, if that acceptance piece is a key part of your model does that to some extent take some of the legs out of the motivational side of trying to bring about like do you feel like there is a reality where like you are sacrificing some amount of motivational efficacy for the sake of substantially increased psychological well-being it depends again if you're rooted in the sense of what virtue is if i'm able to act in a way that that brings about an appropriate action that might people would say that looks like justice. Am I able to do it? I don't do it. That's just something about my character. It comes back mm-hmm. to it boils down to my character. Do I value progress towards unanimity? Yes. Mm-hmm. Then I must do all that is in my power to act appropriately to bring about what people might point and say that looks like justice. If I don't mm-hmm. do that, then I have a poor character. Then I'm actually, you know, I'm turning away from the path of unanimity. I'm going the opposite direction. The question is, this is why the self-help stoicism, if it doesn't talk about virtue, is so dangerous, because it does exactly what you're saying. Because it's saying, well, you, mm-hmm. do you feel the psychological peace? And that's their main focus. It's like, do you feel psychological peace because you know that you are rooted in a journey towards virtue, that you are called to work for the cause of police, that your body is not your own, and to turn a blind eye for the sake of your, quote, unquote, peace, right? That would be inappropriate. Right, mm-hmm. because you can't escape it. You can if you cut virtue out of it and go. Well, I feel equanimity. I feel comfortable. I've been able to do th- three more push-ups and two more pull-ups. Look at me. That's not stoicism. That's becoming stronger in the gym. <laughs> right. That's the problem. Let me, ask, let, me ask you, let me ask you a clarifying question about your understanding of this. Do you think that everybody has virtue? Does everybody have it, or is everybody capable of, of obtaining? It? Does everybody actually have it? Only the sages. Okay, so a a small number of people actually have. So you agree with Aristotle in the sense that, like, there's only a small number of people who actually achieve virtue. The Stoics would say uh, it's as rare as it's as rare as a phoenix. And you agree? Yes. So what is I mean, like, do do you worry then that like this is a prescription that only applies to a fairly small portion of like if the rest of like the vast majority of the population have the unfortunate moral luck of like not being able to achieve virtue as as you sort of were just describing like should they still be trying should they be trying to be stoics or should they be doing something else that like better suits their moral status in that way 
this is the strange paradox, though. I shouldn't be about worried about the only thing that's in my control. The only thing that's in my control is my progress towards unanimity. So why be worried about the one thing that I can't control? Right? This this is a stoic paradox. This is the this is stoicism, as you would know yourself. This is stoicism all over. The minute I'm worried about achieve, whether or not I'm achieving you in mean, yeah, I fall I've fallen from stoicism because the only claim that is making, other than you know, virtue is the only good is that I am able to progress towards that because of my thoughts, actions, and attitude. Mm-hmm. So my moral my moral luck of being born, let's say, British, has nothing to yeah. do with it. You're the very new- bad moral luck of being born. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, the it's pretty bad moral luck. It a lot of colonialism to, to inherit. I appreciate the weight <laughs> that it carries with it. Yeah. But that doesn't say, for example, and that's a really good example, there is no sort of uh, generational sin, right? Even if, I don't know about my forefathers, they were Irish actually, but like if, you know, there's no collective, I mean, sin's not the right word, but there's no collective blame, right? I'm only controlling mm-hmm. my actions, my attitudes, and my thoughts. Everything else is external and has no bearing on me to achieve that sense of flourishing. The minute I believe otherwise, I've stepped out of the strike paradigm, do you, you know, like the strike framework. So do you think that you have like an obligation to help others separate from your own flourishing? It can't be separate, right? Because again, this is meditation's six uh when helping others as an end in themselves rather than as a means to your flourishing you shouldn't use anybody as a means right like in terms of like the okay. end doesn't justify the means of starting because again every action that i make is moment by moment and every action for or attitude says something about my character so the minute i use you to for my own sort of purposes as it were i'm mm. not doing it to cultivate a good character the only thing that matters what i'm doing is because i i'm basically eudaimonia as an external goal Rather than mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you can imagine like sculpting a granite block into the character that fits that round that round hole. The minute I think Eudaimonia is something else, then I've, I've missed the point and therefore won't achieve it anyway. So I'm not worried mm-hmm. about not achieving it because it's the only thing in my control. Am I concerned that as an academic that people are misusing stoicism and allowing a lot of, you know, it's beyond my control, I can't help it, I shouldn't care about others. Yes, that's why I actively fight against it. That's why I'm on Twitter. That's why I do these podcasts to show that's not stoicism. That's not stoicism. Burroughsism is not stoicism. In fact, Leonidas Consentikos and I, who is the co-author of being bad, we coined the phrase Silicon Valley stoicism to show right. that, that is not stoicism. And you can do that now, by a simple control find virtue. Should we say that's not stoicism, or should we say that's a, sto- a version of stoicism that you disagree with, right? Like, I guess... You know, like to avoid the sort of no true Scotsman fallacy, right? Is it better to say, I think they're taking the wrong lessons away from Stoicism, recognizing that, like many other wisdom traditions, people can take all sorts of you know pieces from them, and and maybe could still you know like there isn't like a, a, a an essential truth that they are denying or something like that potentially, um, even if they're not emphasizing the ones that you would want to emphasize, right? I mean, uh, is Christianity Christianity if Jesus didn't die on a cross? Well, so like this, is, I mean, this is my point. Like, are prosperity gospel Christians still Christians? I yes. would say prosperity Christians they still still believe that Christ died on the cross. If you don't believe that virtue is the only good, that that's the one thing. That's like the one like. Sorry, I'll just get about the chat. Yeah, that's the sure one that, thing. I'm, that I'm not sure that all Stoics agree that that's the one thing that would uh, that would unite. My experience of, of of like schools of philosophy is there's no one thing that everyone will agree unites them. Um, so that's why I'm sort of a I mean, little bit nervous about. But I think for the ancient strikes, I mean, we're quite you know we're quite lucky in the sense that the canon is quite small, right? So it hasn't got sure. like with Christianity. I mean, it's a different problem. You've got well, if it's a problem at all, but you've got 
this, I don't know how to show you, but this, my arms band and beyond. With Strozum, you've got, you know, very, very <laughs> little. medium for conveying yeah. the width of the, yeah, can yeah, there, no. yeah. Uh, but Stoicism has very few voices, and definitely in comparison to Christianity. And the one thing that they are hot on is virtue is the only good. And virtue is a you know internal character thing. So uh-huh. if somebody says to me, um, "I don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I don't believe he's the Messiah. I don't believe that he's the Son of God," I'd be like, "You're influenced by Christianity. You've taken aspects of Christianity, but I would say is you it- are not a Christian." I guess I, I feel like it's a little misleading to say virtue is the only good and it's an internal thing. So, for example, right, I think you would agree, and I think maybe the Stoics would agree, that justice is a good and it's an, an end in itself in this kind of way. And that, like, justice doesn't necessarily just boil down to virtue and the flourishing of individuals. I think it can also involve things. I mean, like, it involves things that can contribute to that. But I wouldn't say that it like the value of justice is solely in that it produces flourishing. What do you think? The de- well, the definition of of justice for the strikes is the ability. It's knowledge. Remember that virtue is knowledge, and there's a. I know you're doing it for the audience as well, so I, I know what you're mm-hmm. doing. But the, you have the unity of, and I'm glad you're doing it. It's great. Very, very good questioning. Uh, the, of course, the Socratic in you. So the, the the unity of virtues, right? So justice uh-huh. is not an external thing. It, it is the, the knowledge, the ability to know what is fair and what is unfair and to distribute accordingly. It's a knowledge. It's, it's not, you, as I said, you, as a study, you can point towards and say that looks like a just action, right? You have to be very careful because, again, only the sage can be just. But it is something like, for example, wisdom is to, you know, to know what is good, what is bad and what is, what is neither. It's not something we can point to externally, but that is a wise thing externally. And I do know that this Stoics in the contemporary space get tripped. This gets you know, tripped over all the time. But go back to A.A. Long's, Christopher Gill. Sorry, I'm talking about Stoic scholars here. Sorry, the audience. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is. The definition of that is something internal to the character. Again, this is a very, very Stoic concept. Now, does that mean, for example, that you should accept the Stoics or the, you know, have the right framework or that? is a useful framework or a tool or that will ultimately bring about the world we you know you have you know one has in their mind i can't tell i can't say that for me yes yeah. that makes that's what makes me say but does that mean that i think everyone mm-hmm. should be a strike that's up to them like i can want that it doesn't really make any difference to my character other than say unless i say my happiness depends on everybody being stoic okay can you help me understand how does that view make room for something like systemic injustice right so like the kind of injustice that doesn't involve a particular person necessarily trying to do an injustice or something like that right it's 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 not localized in the bad character of some particular individual or group of individuals but it perpetuates and reproduces this kind of unjust outcome for individuals um does it, do you feel like there's space for that in that view? I mean, you, is, the difficulty is eudaimonia is an individual individual thing, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I got, you know, told off a couple of years ago for talking about collective eudaimonia. That's not the right term because eudaimonia is a very specific term. <laughs> if you're talking about collective well-being, right, and not eudaimonia, because I, although it gets translated that way, eudaimonia is a very specific thing. It is talking about the ability to, to live a completely, a life worthy of being lived. So if we, mm-hmm. if you said to me, can you have institutional injustice, for example, and I'd say to you, does that mean that the people that are subject to that cannot live a life that's worthy of being lived, right? Then you might say, 
all, but I still think their life has worth. I still think they're able to achieve that. Does that mean their life is easy? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean it's nice? No. Does that mean we should just be indifferent to it? No. This is why the Stoics talk about indifference. They don't mean just shrug your shoulders. They mean that externals are indifferent to the sense that they they are not, they're not, but they're not important, but they're not sufficiently important to impact upon your character. So if you're subjected to institutionalized injustice, how you respond to that says something about your character. Now, if you're the one being subject to it, you know, how you respond to that is one thing. If you're the person who's a judge, right? So in the UK, a judge, the judge makes a, makes a proclaim something and the law changes. So you might say this institutionalized injustice is not open to one person. Well, no, but the judge makes the decision, the juries make a decision. And again, when I want to change things, I ask myself, what can I do to change things? So one thing I decided to do today was to come on your podcast because mm-hmm. I feel that getting this message out is significant. Does that mean that my happiness depends on the fact that your audience thinks, oh, what an amazing podcast? No, because if it does, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great so far. No. Um, so like, what about, you know, the pushback that like your character in a robust sense can be impacted by, influenced by maybe the product of systemic injustice, right? Like, for, I mean, like setting aside the question of like, is your life worth living, which I think is a, like a very complicated and loaded kind of uh, question, but like, it certainly seems true to me that your ability to develop virtue can be viciously crippled by circumstances and things beyond your control, that are the results of this kind of systemic injustice that I think we all acknowledge, or at least you and I acknowledge exists in the world to some extent. I think the stakes did recognize this in terms of children, for example. So like, a lot mm. of people think, you know, somebody, there's an argument with these stakes between seven and 14, but yes, like if a child has bad parents, you, you know, if you're eight years old, right, what can you do? Like on a, on right. a, on a serious note, as a, as a child, like even your attitude is going to be because you're with your parents all the time. So they, they do recognize that, you know, small children have a challenge. But you can point to many, many children who grew up having had terrible, I won't name them because I don't want to give credit to that kind of choices that people make, but they've had terrible, let's just put it this way, they've had terrible childhood and they have a choice. Do I continue that or do I draw a line? And Isn't that just so, survivorship bias, though, and, like, constitutive luck or something? I mean, like... I'm not sure that, right, like, that's that's a really good sort of, I mean, I do acknowledge that there's, you know, like, there's an unavoidable problem here, but, like, I don't know that that, that is the way, like, that's sort of the conservative answer to this kind of problem, right? It's like, yeah, but some people pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, so, like, it's 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 fine, right? Except that this is about, again, the character. It's not about, I, I get the bootstrap thing, I, I, in being better, I, uh, in the chapter, no one's on an island, we criticize about being pulled up from mm. bootstrap. That's something different. Because you're saying, okay. I managed to make money because, even though I was poor, right? Blah, 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 blah. And we make the case that a person in Africa, for example, or South America, where you know, I know very well, they, they've done exactly the same as, say, let's just not name them, what we would consider like a, an elite entrepreneur and they're selling fruit at a dusty road so we mm-hmm. have criticized that because that's something different you say oh yeah but you can pull yourself up but that's talking about they talk, tend to say but well, you can do you can do well economically and the right. stoic saying we're just talking about your actions your attitude and your thoughts now 
So that's mm-hmm. that's also the line they have to be careful. So that every human being that is able to reason, which again it goes back to how the distinction between seven and fourteen, can decide how do I want to react to this, like in terms mm-hmm. of judgment. How what do I want? How am I going to cultivate my character in very difficult circumstances? Again, does that mm-hmm. mean I'm going to be wealthy and healthy and all the things that you know, all things being equal, a stoic would say I would I would prefer this to be the case nine times out of 10 or most cases, because as I say, if it's always the case, there's actually a virtual advice, right? Mm-hmm. So like, even money, how many alcoholics would have got better sooner if they didn't have money? But some of the problems, some of the problems is they have money in their pocket, right? So that's why it's like, of course, all things being equal, I would prefer to have money, but Zeno himself, who's the founder of Stoicism, has a case where Cleanthes, who's his protege and very, very poor wins some money from the Council mm-hmm. of Athens, the elders, and says, you know, don't take it. Now, they could be, mm-hmm. because it talks about his character. They could also be as well that, you know, are they buying? Are they trying to buy something to stores them, so taking the money? Would also say something about, you know, the, the, the Stoic school, per se. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's easier. I'm not saying that, they're not saying that, for example, we talk about this being better, that the, the, the proverbial uh, lease that you're tied to in your car is the same length. And this is another thing that we criticize Silicon Valley Stoicism for, the idea of everybody has the same, you know, leash from the tide to the car. And you just have to work hard and be more resilient and do more whatever it is. Like, no, some people are tied to a car that's heavy, loaded, and creaky. And other people have a really long, like, leash, so to speak. This is the dog and the car analogy that okay. you know. I see. Right. Yeah. Right. right. I should have explained that before. Some people have a really long. <laughs> people like, be confused why there's a car, why there's a dog t- yeah. attached to a car. Yeah. The stoic, the stoic say like, we are like you know the analogy is you you're like a dog attached to a car. That car is going somewhere. You have a choice. You can fight that car. or You can go with it. Either way, mm-hmm. like go with it. You know the best way that you can. Either way, you're going down. You know you're going downhill. So you can go screaming and dragging, and or you can go right. I'm going down. I'm going to find out where's best to put my feet to make it. You know, to do the best I can with it. But it's unreasonable okay. to think that everybody has the same length, the same uh-huh. degree of freedom. Let's put it that way. So I hope that people uh-huh. oh, same world dogs. But it's not reasonable to say that Seneca had the same degree of freedom as Cleanthes. And this is why uh-huh. I've we've pushed back Claire and I in being better. That's just not reasonable. The Stoics are not that dumb to think, you know what, especially as Epitaius was a you know, teaching this, like, you know what, my life is just as easy. I have the same degree of freedom as Marcus Aurelius. And that's what okay. I say, it's not easier to be a Stoic, but your life, you know, the external part of your life, yeah, it's easier. But it's not easy to be a Stoic right. because it's, it's, a char- it's a question of character. So it's good that they, I think it's good they can they can acknowledge those kinds of issues. I want to before we run out of time here talk about one other thing that you mentioned back at the beginning about um, cosmopolitanism, which I thought was another interesting thing that you wrote on in one of your articles, uh, specifically the circles of concern. Um, I was wondering if you could explain sort of quickly like what the circles of concern are. How is this is this similar to like the idea of like the moral community or something like that? So the circles of concern is a conceptual drawing, but the idea that you start with self and you pull out, you pull out to the next ring and you grab it, which you could, the labels change historically, right? But now at the moment it would be family, mm-hmm. right? The immediate family. Mm-hmm. And you bring it onto yourself so that you recognize yourself in your family and your family in yourself. 
And then currently, mm -hmm. then we'd reach out to say the friends, right? Again, historically, this might be different, might be tribes, people, or something like that. But we grab our friends, we see our friends in ourselves and ourselves in our friends. And we go out to the wider local community, the geographical location that we're at, because that's also important part of our one of our roles. And we pull that in and we see see that we are not so different to those people. And then we pull out, you know, the whole community. Again, historically, this meant something different because of the way the world was conceptualized we pull that in until we see the whole in this case the whole of humanity into us and that's in the whole of humanity so you don't have mm -hmm. the out of sight out of mind by the way so you can't say oh mm -hmm. well that's a problem that doesn't correspond to me i have nothing to do with it right i have nothing whatsoever it's like okay that doesn't correspond to me because i'm geographically here but it's not out of sight out of mind because if i happen to move and i happen to be placed there or i have the ability to influence that in any way then I can't mm -hmm. just go and shut my eyes to it because outside out of mind is not a stoic concept at all because you're always working towards the the whole, the what people might call the greater good or the common good. And the minute you take your eyes off that, right, the cosmic view that Marcus Ruiz talked about, you're not really embedded into a stoic framework, right? Because, okay. again, if you're just thinking about it, because it says what, what cannot be good for the beehive cannot be good for the bee. Mm -hmm. right? And, again, mm -hmm. I know the pushback's like, yeah, but then can you, you know, then if you have institutionalized injustice and you're saying this is only my role and that's happening over there, that's not my problem. No, it is your problem. The question oh, is, it is, your, it is your problem. What can you do about it? Is the answer something or, or not? Yeah, actually, I was going to go in the other direction. I was curious, how do you prevent what you talk about in your article, which is, um, I think, from um, Hierocles, this, this like that it would let, sort of lead to a kind of madness if you really did try to treat everyone in the world as a member of your most inner circle or something right like how does this work in a world where we have seven billion people connected via this giant internet machine what do you feel like this means in practice like really concrete you know like behavioral changes that you think should be the result of the close you know the bringing in of those rings that you feel like strikes the right balance of what you need to be doing without like overwhelming yourself in this kind of way that's, that's a good that's a good question and we do talk about in the book and elsewhere like i'm not saying that i should say for example treat your wife as if she were my wife right <laughs> that's not appropriate so it's not a case of treating everybody mm -hmm. the same it's recognizing that everybody has the ability to read them right and, and mm -hmm. calling them you know into that okay i may not see eye to eye to you i eye to eye with you but I'm going to ask you questions and see what you think. I think one of the greatest problems, is, which is why I wrote with Jonathan Church about counterculture, is that we've lost the ability to, to ask questions, like particularly when it comes to definitions. Like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by justice? Because you were very you were very adamant, and, I, and, I, and this is very Socratic. Like, can you define exactly what you mean by justice, Clive? Because if you mean this, I disagree with you. However, if you mean that, I agree with you. I might not like. I might not agree with your framework, but within your framework, at least it's coherent and consistent. It keeps, cons mm -hmm. and this is this is the thing that, as you, as you all know yourself, that Socratic dialogue brings. Right, you're trying to find the consistency and the coherency. So yeah, you. It's also saying like, okay, I don't treat everybody the same in the sense that I treat everybody like as if they were my wife, say, or my mm -hmm. husband, right? But I do recognize the humanity. I do recognize that I have been myself wrong. Right, that I shouldn't necessarily let's say say I'm cancel somebody because they've been wrong because I would recognise that I myself have been wrong. And again, it doesn't mean there are no, you know, quote unquote punishments or consequences. That to be able to separate the two, that the Stokes are like, okay, we can separate the two. You can have a case where in, in being better, we talk about two heroes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one one tries to stop a war, the Iraq war, British spy, and one joins the Iraq war, ex-American football player, Pat Hillman. So I love the fact I can say that for American audience. But like, uh-huh. they're both our heroes. Why? Because the war isn't indifferent. It's how you act, react to the war in your judgments, your thinking, your attitude. It's what was your role, right? The war itself is the, is the environment that you're contained in. It's the context that you're given. So that's how Stoza say they are both our heroes because Catherine Gunn, the British spy, she had information that Pat Tillman didn't have. Mm-hmm. Maybe perhaps if he had known about, you know, the UN Council, Security Council and how it was, how it, the war came about, he may have made a different decision. Does that mean he made, a, you know, he made the wrong decision? From a stoic point of view, not from a moral perspective. Because he, uh-huh. at the time, that's the thing. That, again, you might say, you know, Kai, you made the wrong decision. I was like, but did I make it the morally wrong decision? Or did it, did it just, was it that the consequences were such that it became the wrong decision? Like consequentially, right? And say, so, uh-huh. well, yeah, and it's, so that has no bearing on your character. So I'm interested. To, I mean, I'm interested partly in the the cancel culture thing, though I'm not sure we have enough time to fully unpack that. Um, but I also, you know, I, I guess I worry a little bit here with these sorts of like, and this is not just on on you, right? I'm I'm pressing you on this. Not that I have answers to these kinds of questions, right? Sort of thing where it's like, I worry when we are adopting these kinds of wisdom traditions like Stoicism or Taoism or something like that. That a lot of the times, what we end up doing is you know, our moral intuitions are kind of driving the boat. And then like, we're pulling language from these traditions that we feel like conforms with and reinforces and we emphasize those kind of things. Do you wonder, do you think at all about like, how much am I conforming my expectations to stoicism versus how much are my moral intuitions sort of telling, you know, me what I need to be doing. And then I put that into stoic language as I'm trying to convey it to myself and others i mean i would be foolish to think that i was immune from such mm-hmm. potential mm-hmm. moral errors like to, to, to deny that would be to deny that would be like well no i am perfectly able to distinguish between if i could say you know if i were able to do that i would be you know like a perfect human being and even the sage isn't like the perfect human being what the sage is the perfect moral being if they are mm-hmm. the sage is perfect in the moral sense in the moral sense so are there to, any, to deny that would be, I think it would be foolish. I think you agree. In your smile. Are, are, are there any sort of like substantial sort of costs or changes that you feel like you've sort of adopted as part of this kind of stoic approach where you could say, you know, here's something where I had a moral intuition previously that like it was okay to use Amazon or it was okay to eat meat or it was okay to, you know, use a bunch of trash and throw it away or something like that. But now like I acknowledge from this cosmopolitan perspective, I need to be acting differently. I need to have more skin in the game or something like that. It's okay to be angry. From a certain perspective, it is never okay to be angry. It's a, it's a form of madness. I've given, basically the moment that I'm mad from a strict perspective, I've given away my sense of reason. The only thing that matters. The only thing, you know. Like Sen- isn't Seneca have a thing where he's pro being angry sometimes no he, he says it, he does say that it's a form of madness so for example there's a book okay. now talking about a case for rage from a certain uh-huh. perspective there is no case for rage so like, you think there's never a situation in which it's good to be mad there's never a situation where it's good to be mad you can be assertive what? you can be direct 
but losing, you know, when you, like mad, like rage, just like you literally are out of your, out of your, out of control. You lose. You take a. I lost my. Well, well that seems different from mad, though, right? Like I can, I can be mad at my partner or something because they did something that upset me, and like being mad is a valuable social signal for them not to do that again or something like that, right? But that's that seems different than like out of control blind rage. I mean, it's like for them to say, if you're mad because your person, your wife did something, she's out of your control. So why are you mad about it? I mean, it's like well, because, always say that you're mad about the actions of somebody but it, else. Isn't that, isn't that wrong? I mean, like, so like if, she, you know, like if my partner does something that upsets me, that whether they do it again is to some extent under my control. Because if I express that I'm mad and they don't want me to be mad, right? They want me to be happy, right? They won't do it again. So I have well, again, by expressing that they, emotion. It, that you've already told me why if they decide that they don't want you to be mad so it's actually I right mean, but they still need them. the signal right they still they still need me to express to them like if i if i'm because this is where it gets back to like my concerns about stoicism being this kind of bro-y don't show emotions kind of thing where like if i don't show anger when i need to you know like does that anger get bottled up or something and like the, the stoics are saying just sort of accept it but like psychologically i worry that for a lot of people this amounts to sort of sublimating your rage in this kind of sublimating your anger until it turns into rage potentially i mean seneca would say like if you like a you know when you've got when you know it's like you have students does that mean i don't have to quote unquote pretend to be angry so you get their attention mm -hmm. no one do it to like a partner but yeah you have to be like i'm really disappointed you didn't get your homework in on time right <laughs> like you have to do that because that's part of your role i would probably say that most people's spouse would prefer that you wouldn't get angry and if you could tell them in, if you could tell them in a different way and get the same effect they would be i, I guess they would be they would be equally happy to do it but the, for the same perspective, there is no case for rage because the mm -hmm. because it's, or, or anger because it's just not reasonable is there a case to be like look you really you know that really upsets me i'm really irritated <laughs> and be very stern you can be stern but i don't see why there's a case for Literally, the word mm -hmm. "mad," for example, just but let's say "angry" because the word "mad" has those connotations. I just don't think that there is a. And it's funny because when I get into like when I do get angry, and people turn around to me, and go, "But aren't you stoic?" <laughs> just like, ah, <laughs> like isn't there is there any case for you to be angry with me? Aren't you mm -hmm. like if you're angry with me, that's reacting to something that you know you're reacting that of. And you had the response there. Do you stop being angry when they point that out to you, or? Yes, now more so than before because before it used to drive me crazy. Right, it used to be like literally, like just be like, what? And then I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, it's again, it's like anything else. You practice enough times, like you you, you get it, right? And I was like, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying in that moment, but the moment is short because I'm thinking, yeah, actually, mm -hmm. I'm angry because I have an expectation that you didn't meet. So my issue is my expectation. But my expectation, my response when you don't do what I wanted you to do, which again is yeah. outside my control. So why be angry about it? It doesn't mean that I, sh you know, that I'm never angry. I mean, again, I'm not a sage, right? so I'm going to be angry more times than I want to be. But for me, that's been the biggest one because things like Amazon, for example, or environment, that was my training as an environmental engineer. Right. Um, but that anger, it's hard, right? Because you're going to be like, I'm really, you know, like you even have to change your language. Like, I'm really angry. Even saying, oh, I am frustrated. Because and you work it through. I mean, you you must do this yourself because of your training, and I and I think that it does become easier. Does it does it go away? 
has it yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> has it yet? But it has become easier as I've become more aware of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do think you can train that. And I do think there is something to, so I guess my, my, you know, where I end up is like, I should be angry when I'm angry. I should express that anger, but not hold on to it. Right. So it should go away faster in the way that you're describing. But I also think it's valuable to sometimes have it and express it, which it might, might, you know, it seems like it might be a difference in positions um, here. One other thing that you wrote about that I did want to squeeze in here since it's sort of relevant to current events and stuff is, um, in, in an interview that you were talking about sort of stoicism and how it can help us address COVID, which is certainly another thing that can get a lot of people very angry, right? So in this same vein, right, let's imagine hypothetically, right, that I'm a fellow stoic and I argue that from a stoic perspective, we shouldn't worry so much about death from COVID and we should live our lives, manage our fear of death better, you know, let go of like the masks and the lockdowns and stuff like that and just kind of you know, we should get vaccinated, right? Because that's under our control or something like that. But like beyond that, right, we should just kind of try to get back to normal. How would you, would you agree that that's the, that's the stoic take or do you disagree? And how like, how would you argue that from a stoic perspective? It would always depend on the person's role, right? What do they, firstly, what they mean by normal because you knew that was going to come. But also what's your role? I don't think we can get, and I think you would agree with me based on your tweets and things, like you can't, there is no, back to normal i don't think i think it's like i think this episode has been like world war one world war two the women mm-hmm. went to work and they're like you're not taking this you know you are not taking this away from me i've just worked my bum off while you went off to war so you want me back in the kitchen here have the, have the oven gloves i'm not doing it not as my primary role right or mm-hmm. my only role mm-hmm. I'm not saying every woman i just there was a general you know pushing back right. against them. There, there was a change in cultural norms yeah and i think the same is true now like the whole mm-hmm. the whole working uh, working from home. Like before, it's like mm-hmm. if you didn't sit your your backside on a particular chair, you were a lazy person, <laughs> and that's changed, right. right? That's that's completely changed. So I don't think there is a a normal to go back to, and I don't necessarily think we would want to go back to whatever we call normal because why? What again? That's a different question. Like, would we want to go back? And from a certain perspective, the answer is well, not necessarily. Like what? What bits did we think worked well, and what bits didn't work well? And the one that I've highlighted, and I think you would agree, is forcing people to sit in a specific chair in an office for no other reason other than to control. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying every office. I mean, I do think that some people need to be back because they've got they're a receptionist in a hospital. I think there's a reason mm-hmm. why they need to be sat in that chair. But a lot of people just sat in the chair because that's what you did. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there is this, this normal to go back to and i don't necessarily think that all aspects of what what would be called normal right all the aspects should come back so i mean i i didn't want to get too hung up on on like that particular part of things i was more concerned with like does stoicism give us a clear directive about like respecting lockdowns or something like that right like is it your moral obligation as a stoic to respect a lockdown if your government puts one in place depends on the reason for the lockdown so if you could say if you said to me things like you know, one person, like for straight, for example, I don't understand from a straight perspective why Australia has been locked down the way it has, that people have not been able to, I mean, there was a case that this guy was Australian, he met his girlfriend online, she was from the UK, and he had to sign a piece of paper so he would never go back to Australia. And he literally... I'm not familiar like, with that particular story, okay. which, is, which is interesting because I have an Australian spouse and okay. I've been following the, the Australian uh, situation. But like, you know, from my perspective, from what I've understood of people who live in Australia, most of them have not had this sort of 
horrible experience that like the American media has portrayed it as being that like mm -hmm. for their perspective, it's been a very reasonable process that has generally sort of protected them fairly well. They're having some more issues now because they've sort of they, they relaxed the perspectives before, you know, this Omicron thing sort of came into effect. But like this seems to be sort of an example where like, you know, I mean, it depends on the lockdown. So I would agree with you if you've locked down the country and you have no reason to leave the country, then it's been reasonable if you've needed to leave the country and haven't been able to so i have known oh i think i think, I think the entering and exiting stuff has been yeah. there's been some issues on yeah. that front certainly i agree, I agree with that but yeah. I, I thought you meant sort of more like people living well that is a like, lockdown like, in some sense sorry, sorry yeah, i mean I'm, I'm, I'm right i was thinking lockdown more like uh things like you know you can't go to restaurants and stuff like that or you can't go uh to movies um, but you're right. You're right. Those are those are two sort of different. I should have I should have clarified that a little bit. I apologize. No, no, no worries. Because um, I think this is a great Socratic dialogue. This is exactly what you. This is exactly where you excel, right? Because you've just said mm -hmm. well, this is the point that we were both making. Like, if lockdown means that you cannot physically leave your country under any condition, right? Which was how it was has been portrayed and has been the case. Then I think, from a stoic perspective, then no. If lockdown means that you can't visit mm -hmm. your favorite restaurant because many people are dying and you've come to the decision because again you have to ask yourself the question because people die doesn't mean you do something in fact value uh, i value people living therefore to reduce that and i have a reason to you know believe that that is the case then yeah then i should then i should uh lock myself down like mm -hmm. if i believe that not being able to visit my grandma in america ever again and if i do i can't be back to australia do i think that's reasonable Hand on heart, me personally me personally i don't think that's reasonable I think there are better means to do. I think you can leave the country, go into quarantine, stay in quarantine, and then what's the issue? That that to me mm -hmm. again is like what what is the alternative? So the alternative is you leave the country for good, or you come back and do a quarantine for a month. I think most people are capable of being quarantined for a month. Now, if someone mm -hmm. said, "Well, I refuse because I have my rights," okay, then you can say, "Okay, if you refuse to quarantine for a month, then the alternative is that you leave and you never come back." But that was not an alternative given to people. So mm -hmm. again, no, I think those things. Yeah, no, I think this is valuable. I think it's a more sophisticated approach to talking about this than what I think I often see, where it's like stoicism is, you know, stop cowering behind your mask and, and like live your life and don't be afraid anymore or something like, like a very going back to that, like suppressing of emotions kind of mm. 101 approach. I mean, I did see that. And I agree with the T-shirt, like, because generally that's a stoic sort of little s uh well you know god's gonna look after me so why do i have to wear a mask well then why do you carry a gun like hang on a minute if right. you're gonna invoke that argument then be consistent with it right? so for right. me, Fair like, enough. are you weak for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask i don't think weakness has anything to do again it's nothing to do with stoicism like being strong or weak physically or being macho it's got mm -hmm. nothing to do with stoicism you've got a capital s the philosophy Okay, fair enough. So we are just out of time, and I've got to torture you here in a second um, and see if your stoicism holds up under pressure. But first, um, I always like to try to wrap these up by asking folks if there's any, like, resources that you have found personally valuable. I'll, I'll let you plug your things at the end, but, like, things that have, you found helpful for understanding stoicism that you would want to recommend to folks who want to sort of dive deeper into this issue. If you're, if, if you're a scholar, anything written by Christopher Gill, A.A. Long, or John Sellers, okay. or William Stevens. Mm -hmm. I would say mm -hmm. that's a really good place to start. Uh, any of the the ancient texts, if you're that way inclined, because some people some people are. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I would say. Do you, I, have a, do you have a favorite Stoic personally? Sphirus. Sphirus. Sphirus, like a sphere. He is the guy who took Stoicism to Sparta. 
The connection between mm. Spartan and Stoicism is chapter seven being bad. The connection is not this macho thing, right? It's actually that Spherus went to Sparta to help King Cleomenes III and his wife Agiatus to develop social, economic, and land reform. And it's the biggest, mm. I'm like, oh, it's only about itself. Really, tell that to Spherus, who, by the way, was a student of Zeno, who, by the way, went to Sparta, right? Mm. And invoked Lycurgus, the Spartan sort of ideology of what's a good king, to bring social justice to Sparta. So that's a really good example of like people don't even know who Spherus is. They, uh, mm-hmm. And the, and he's even like the whole story about King Cleomenes is in Machiavelli, right? So it's like, hang on, if you've read Machiavelli, then you've read about you know Argus the Fourth and King Cleomenes the Third, but people don't put join the dots. So he's my favorite because mm-hmm. it, it proves what I'm telling you today. That if you say I don't care that this institutional injustice, that's you know that's being said that I don't care because not being it's not in my control. Well, that's not that's not what Sirius took from it. He went there and did Fair what enough. he could. Yeah, so maybe and it's unfortunate because we didn't, you know, we, we covered a lot of good ground here, but I don't think, you know, we, we didn't get to go into like Spartan Stoicism or the, you know, Spartan Stoic Queen or feminism and Stoicism, which I think are all interesting other things that you've written on as well. So maybe we'll try to get you back on sometime to do, you know, better no spherus or something like that. And um, but like in the meantime, unfortunately, as I said, I do have to torture you. So <laughs> this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are these things real or not real? That is your only choice. You do not get to hedge. You don't get to explain what you mean by real or not real. Your only answer (laughs) is real or not real. Do you understand? I do. I like it. All right. So let's just check. First of all, I've got to prime the pump here. Is anything real? Yes. Real. Okay, great. It's, it's you know it comes up sometimes. Trust me. Um, so yes. let's find out what's real. All right. So the external world, real or not real? It's real. Okay. Colors, real or not real? Real. Phenomenal consciousness. What do you mean by phenomenal consciousness? I- inner world of experience. Yeah, we have experiences. Yes, we have oh. an inner world of experience. Yeah. Okay, great. Free will. Yes. Selves or persons? Yes, although that changes historically what the sense of self is, but yes. Okay. Genders? In terms of your identity, yeah, you can ah, have an identity. Just real or not real? Okay. <laughs> yes. I was a yes. All right. Races, real or not real? Scientifically unreal. Nope. Real or, okay. Just real or not unreal. real? Unreal. Unreal. Okay. There you go. Species? Real. Okay. Morality. Real. Rights. (laughs) Let's go with unreal because not very stoic to say real. Okay. (laughs) Knowledge. Real. God or gods. Real. Society. Real. Money. Real. Real. Okay. Numbers. Real. Fictional characters. <laughs> Unreal. Holes, like a hole in the ground. Real. Chairs. Real. Sandwiches. Real. Science. Real. Natural laws. Natural law. 
<laughs> natural law real real <laughs> okay. beauty real love real causality real and finally time real all right you survived how do you feel that was really, really good. I loved it. It's really, really, really good. And that's another one we can debate another time about rights because stoicism is based on sure. obligations, not rights. Okay. There are some Fair minor enough. rights, but it's not really in the sense that in the sense that we understand it. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I'm actually yeah, I'll be curious to chat about that more as well. So, Kai, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff? Find you on Twitter, etc. I only have one question because I said I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, yes. Go ahead. What's your question? If any X-Men was a stoic, which X-Men would it be? Oh. um, I feel like Nightcrawler had some fairly stoic tendencies at various points because of his Catholicism. I don't know. Who, Who would you pick? I could be roused for that. <laughs> I think Professor X. <laughs> another strong choice, right? Very, very stoic style, very Picard. Um, all right, yeah. So, where, where can folks find you? Twitter handle, etc. Kai Weising, or you know, mm-hmm. website stoicai.com. Um, the only plug I will do is being better. If you could ask for it in a library, you actually rather than just buy a copy, you actually enable more people to read. And I wouldn't want to read it. I wouldn't want people to not be able to read it because they couldn't afford it. But could you please very ask nice. your local library? There you go. Hit up your local libraries. All right. Well, thanks very much. Thank you very much. And really enjoyed it. It was fun. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks, as always, to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patron, Ruadi, uh, Ruadiri Primrose. Apologies. Um, and as always, I'd like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Lawrence Shielding. If it's not there, where is it? Is it anywhere? Dude, fix the vote. Covina needs your support for voting districts. Join us December 21st, 7.30 p.m. PST via Zoom. Google Covina City Council for meeting info. Uh, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman and Chad T. And all the thanks to our Archduke-level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor's show, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content, which I promise is coming back now that the semester is almost over. Uh, Most of all, even when you're mad, you are the void and the void is you. 